privilege. I know this day has mixed emotions for many, and, and, and some, you know, we celebrate, of course, we celebrate moms. Some, some are grieving the loss of moms. Some are, are struggling with a strained relationship either between moms and kids. Some are wishing to be moms. Some are just, you know, wrestling through this time. And we, what I know throughout all of this, though, is that there we have a, uh, an emotional relationship, an emotional connection to moms and their role in our lives. And so we just give God honor, and we want to thank him today for those. And, and we know so many women, too, you take, have, have that role of moms in so many others' lives than just in, than in your own kids. I think about teachers in the schools, and I think about the different roles, and even the, the women here in our church, whether it's in the children's ministry or in student ministry, uh, just that role that we have of that, that care, that nurture, that raising the next generation. And so we just honor you this morning. Now, we're talking about this series, Lens on Life. And when I think about the lenses we've been looking at, some different lenses, the one lens that we're not going to spend a lot of time on today, but is the, the mom lens. Moms have a certain lens on life, don't they? You know, I'm talking about moms, they see things different. Like moms, and, and I, I can't, you know, necessarily know because I'm not a mom, but I've experienced, you know, moms around, and moms have this way of seeing that's different than, than men. Moms have this, this sense of something going on with their kids, right, when they're not even in the room, right? They can be in a completely different room and be like, did you just sneak something out of the pantry, a little snack that you're not supposed to have? How do they know? It's kind of like teachers, like eyes in the back of their head, right? Moms have this other sense. Moms have this sense that while, you know, there might be scrapes and bruises, moms can see and, and understand that there's a deeper pain. You know, they can tell what's going on in the heart. They want to dive a little further and see what's going on. How can I help? How can I comfort? Moms have a way of seeing the refrigerator different than dads. Dads open up the refrigerator, and we look and go, there's nothing in here. I don't know what to have. A mom can whip out like a full five-course dinner, right? I mean, it's just amazing. Moms see the world different. Well, we're talking in this series, how do we see the world different? What lens do we have? How do we view the world? And we're talking about worldviews when we talk about lenses. And a worldview is this, the lens through which we see reality, make sense of life, and then engage the world. So that's a worldview. It's the way that we approach the world. And what eyes, how are you seeing the world? And we're looking at four worldviews in this series that I think shape Americans and Western culture immensely. So much so that we swim in the sea and that we don't even sometimes realize how much these worldviews affect us, how much they influence us. And even in the church, as followers of Christ, the, these worldviews often become a way that we try to bend our faith towards or even bend the Bible towards. They have that much influence. And we want to try to right the ship and try to say, how can we see these through a different lens, through a Christ-centered lens? And the four worldviews, and we started a couple weeks ago talking about materialism, the designer frames, how we see that, that we think that money is, it means everything. Money moves the world. It's our goal. Stuff, things, how do we move past that to find contentment and peace and putting God in the center? Last week, we talked about hedonism, hedonism being pleasure, and this idea that even pleasure, if left unchecked without limits, eventually becomes pain. And how does God bring us pleasure in life? And how do we discover that? We talked about that last week. This week we're going to talk about individualism here in just a moment. And then next week we're going to have a fun, lighthearted topic. We're going to talk about politics. Y'all ready for that? All right. Because we know these are worldviews and lenses that shape so much about what we see. You can be praying for me, by the way, too, in preparation for that one, right? We're all going to be loving, right? All right. The verse that we're looking at, Colossians 2.8. When we think about these worldviews, and, and this comes out of the book, that, a letter that was written to a church that was struggling to kind of find their way as, as followers of Christ and with the you know, different views in culture and society and blending some of those things together. And so this, verse, this, this book was written, and here's a verse we've been looking at. It's this, Colossians 2.8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking 
and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. We're influenced so much by, by great ways of thinking. There's, there, there's great thinkers, there's great philosophers, there's great isms that are out there in the world and, and, and things we can learn. But many times we begin to substitute those for a Christ-centered faith, a Christ-centered understanding, a gospel-centered lens. And so he says, come back because in Christ is where we find all wisdom and knowledge. And that's why we gather weekly. We come together as a church to, to come, continue to come back to God's word to show us how to live, how do we experience life to the fullest in Christ. So we've been looking at these different worldviews. And like I said, today we're going to look at individualism. Me, my selfie, and I. Me, my selfie, and I. What's individualism? Individualism is this. Life centers around me. What I want comes first. Now this is a lens that is so easy for us because... Let's be honest, the only lens that most of us see through and can see through physically is our own eyes, right? And where are they connected? They're connected to us. And so wherever we go, there we are, right? We're the center. Everything seems to revolve around us. And it's so easy to believe that this world is all about me and what I want comes first. And so it's, it's about what I want, what I know, and then I try to gauge my life, what's best in my best interest. And we think about being independent and being individual and, and you know, all these different things that we have. Now, the idea of selfies, me, my selfie, and I, I think if anything really grabs a hold of what this culture is, it's the selfie. You guys know selfies, right? Selfies, right? I normally don't have my camera up here, but I'm going to have my uh, camera up here today. Selfie, right? You flip the camera around, and huh, there I am. This is me. Maybe I can post it right there. I got the screen in the background. Cross. There we go. All right. Um, as a matter of fact, let's, let's do this. I don't get to do this often because it really ties into the message. So I'm going to do a little selfie here. Let's see here, guys, over on this side. You guys, this half of the room, ready? Cheese. Okay. Let's see. I think, wow, I think in two shots in the wide angle here, I can get everybody. Ready? Cheese. This is great. All right. Um, let's see another one here. Don't I, I don't get to do this often. This is great. This one I'm not in, though. I'm not in this one, but it's kind of cool to see all of you guys. You guys happy to be in church? All right, people online, you guys smiling? All right, all right. See, so we take these pictures, we take these selfies, and what's the common theme about all these pictures? <laughs> How do I look? But why do I care? Because I'm in the middle of the picture, right? It's me. I put myself in the picture. That's the whole idea of selfies. I am in the picture. It's about me. Now, you see, selfies didn't become as big a thing until about 2010 with the invention of the iPhone 4 rear-facing camera. All of a sudden, in 2010, all of a sudden, now we could see ourselves in the screen and pictures began to fly. Remember before, uh, you could have the self, you know, re uh, reverse camera? Remember, like, those cameras you had to put film in? And you, then you'd have to, like, snap, wind it in disposables or even the little instant ones. You took a picture, and then you'd have to wait, like, a week or more until you finished the roll of 24 or 36. And then you took it to Kmart, and then, you ha and then the Kmart had like the double-doubles. Remember, like the free doubles? Like, that was awesome. Anyone speaking to the older crowd now, right? But, but you, then you'd come back, and you'd open those pictures, and you'd hope to see a picture that was good, and the selfies were just all over. Like, they were just misses. You didn't know. It was different. Now we can frame every picture perfect. But the original selfie, actually, according to the Smithsonian, was back in 1839. This is Robert Cornelius uh, in Philadelphia. He was a chemist, and he set up the camera and ran around and took a selfie. So we don't, they're not as, uh, as, as you know, recent as we might think. But here, in, so in 2010, the, the, the rear-facing camera was invented. And then in 2013, uh, Twitter actually, um, uh, not Twitter, Oxford said that selfie became an official word in the Oxford Dictionary. 
So in 2013, and then a year later, Twitter said it's the year of the selfie because selfie increased, taking pictures increased by 500%. So we see this is a huge thing, wanting to be in the center, taking this, uh, this, this, this view of the selfie. Now, a couple of fun facts about selfies, just so that you're all more informed since it's a big part of our culture. 92 million selfies are taken every day. 92 million, and the average uh, selfie taker is 24 years old. And, uh, and, and boomers, only about 6% of boomers uh, take selfies. Would you guys agree with that? You're not so much into selfies? Right, 18 to 24-year-olds can spend up to 54 hours a year looking at their screen taking selfies. That's, that's the average, right? That's a lot of focus on ourselves. Now, now, women, you're one and a half times more likely to take a selfie. But you know what, men? We're three times more likely to die taking a selfie. Okay? <laughs> so, yes, did you know on average 43 people a year die taking selfies? Yeah, eight times more than die of shark attacks. So, anyway, we're not here to teach on that, but selfies can be dangerous, right? You focus on yourself and you die. Something can happen. You take your eyes on where you're going. So, selfies have really become this part of our culture. And it's created a narcissistic culture, right? Looking at ourselves, constantly at ourselves, the world, just how we see it. And we want everyone to see the world with us in the middle. What I want is most important. What I, you know, feed my ego. You like me. You want to see more of me. And, and, and the world begins to revolve around us in this way. Now, again, some of you might be saying, well, you know, I'm not a big selfie taker. I, I don't like that culture, all that. It, the world doesn't revolve around me. But we're all still influenced because individualism and this, this whole stream is bigger than just taking selfies. That's just an evidence of it right now in our culture. But we think back even to when we're born in, in, in our nature, right? We wonder, like, with kids, very soon, right, you get them some stuff and they say, what, mine, right? They, they realize, I, I take possession of something. And then you want to help them. What's a line that you'll hear some young kids say? I do, I do it. I do myself. I do myself, right? I don't need anyone. And, and, and as parents, we want them to learn to do things by themselves. We say we're raising kids to become more and more independent. And that's a goal, and we, we value that independence. And as a nation, that's been so ingrained in us, too. Independence, we talked about it last week, the declaration of what? Independence. We will be independent. It's in our blood. It's from our founding. Like Nobody tells us what to do. We're going to form our own destiny, our own future. Live free or die. It's, it's, it's in us to be and to live in this way and to pursue our futures you know, for us. Ralph Waldo Emerson, in 1841, he wrote uh, what was called self-reliance. Self-reliance, and, and he addresses conformity, and he says, society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. He says, the virtue in most request is conformity. Self-reliance is its aversion. Right? Self-reliance. You don't want to conform. you got to be independent. You can't do what everyone else is doing. And then a hundred years later, uh, Abraham Maslow wrote the paper, Theory of Human Motivation. Have you studied this in school, the hierarchy of needs? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? What, what motivates us, he's saying? Well, you have your basic needs met, food and, and clothing, and then you have security and, and shelter in those pieces. Then you find love and, and acceptance. Then you find success. And at the very top, self-actualization. This has been ingrained in us. This has been driven into us that, that we want to reach this part of all we were meant to be and that we can do this and we can be independent from others. What's another term that we think about here in the United States? It's rugged individualism. We even say it, right? It's this rugged individualism embodied by the American cowboy, right? 
Now, I remember back growing up in Detroit, the I-94 outside of Detroit Metro Airport, when we'd drive there, there was a giant billboard of the Marlboro Man. You guys remember the Marlboro Man? What a stud, right? And this guy embodied rugged American individualism, doing life on his own, out on the range, out on the... This is, this is who we are, right? And it gets handed down and it gets ingrained in us over and over. It's a country where immigrants, you know, have known through the, the, the centuries and the decades, right, that, that you can make something of yourself here. You just roll up your sleeves, right, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, and you can do something. The spirit of invention and entrepreneurism is big in our country, isn't it? And, and, just these, and I think today, you know, it's interesting how this is shifting, too, amongst kids. When, when uh, Lego actually did the survey, uh, you know, Legos, they make Legos, right? They surveyed a bunch of kids. Uh, and they asked them what they want to be when they grew up. So they asked kids between 8 and 12 years old. Now, it had always been, you know, wanting to be an astronaut, doctor, lawyer, engineer, teacher. Those were always some of the top things. Pastor, I'm sure that was up there all the time, um, <laughs> right? Uh, that, that kids want to be. But then in the most recent survey, you know what was at the very top of the list? YouTuber. Did somebody say that? <laughs> Kids want to be a YouTuber, right? It's, the camera's turned on me. Everybody's keeping their eyes on me. It's a different shift in, in, in what is taking place. And so we go through life going, what's in it for me? In our culture, you do you. Ever hear that? <laughs> Express yourself. Everything from your clothing to your iPhone color and case and the music that you listen to, your own playlist. Like you get everything customized to you. We get things customized for us because we're individuals. We're unique and we want our own way. We say things like, nobody can tell me what to do. March to the beat of your own drummer. As a matter of fact, right now, you can choose your own identity. You can choose your own gender. Wow, it got really quiet in here. You can choose your own pronoun, whatever, whatever you want to be. You want to change it today, you can change it tomorrow. It's completely up to you. This is all about you. It's just a little precursor for next Sunday, just in case you're wondering. No. <laughs> whatever you want, whatever you want to do, individual, it's just about you. Nobody can tell you what to do. Now, another area where we see this is in a generation that's coming through in, in our colleges. I'm on a board of a college, even a Christian college, and, and what we see across the board in colleges, Christian colleges, secular universities, state universities, whatever, is that there is such a need for the mental health issues in, in college students. They're overwhelmed. They're overrun. I wonder why. What is it? What is it that we've done as parents and raising and trying to see in this culture? How do we walk through this? Well, we always say, you're special. Now, kids, you're special. Well, of course. I mean, I think my kids are special. Absolutely. You know, but what begins to happen is the world revolves around kids. Kids start believing the world revolves around the parents will bend over backwards, do anything and everything, and you should as a good parent do great things, but kids begin to think, I'm the center of the universe. It's all about me. And they start feeling that, they start believing that, and then they come into the real world and recognize what? It's not about them. It's not all about them. It's a hard reality. It's something you have to learn. And that's one example of, of where some of this challenge is coming. So the problem, again, with being individualistic, to the point of just that we say that individualism, the highest ideal, is actually it's pretty exhausting to be the center of the world. It's pretty exhausting to have the world revolve around us, to have to figure it all out, to have to always do it, to control people around us so that everything works in our way, in our favor, so that our life can be the best that it can be. Everyone has to do everything just so. 
And I think we buy into that without even thinking about it because that's a natural wiring at some level. It's what our world and culture tell us. And so how do we understand that? I think it's kind of like feeling the pressure of being the center. is kind of like trying to imagine the moon being the center of our solar system. You know, the moon saying, I want to be the center. It just doesn't have the ability, doesn't have the gravitational pull. It can't keep things in order. If the moon were to keep everything in the center of the universe, it would fall apart. We need a different foundation. We need something else that holds us together. And the problem with individualism, too, is that individualism leads to isolationism. We move from individualism to isolationism, or we can say it this way, when you live for yourself, you will eventually be by yourself. When you live for yourself, you'll eventually be by yourself. When you think you can do it all alone and you can handle everything alone, eventually you will be all alone. And this is not how we were created. And when we become the center, we begin to isolate others and those around us. So and anyway, as Americans, we swim in this deep water of individualism. How do we see differently? How can we, can we look at life through a different lens? I think this issue of individualism is probably the greatest hurdle to people becoming followers of Christ. Because at the core of it is this idea that I don't need anybody else. And who needs God? There is no God. I don't need God. It is me. I have got to do this on my own, and I'm at the focal point. But even for those that have become followers of Christ, that have surrendered and have taken that step, this culture, the stream that we continue to, to swim in, affects every one of us. Every single day, I want to come back to the center of the universe. It's the way that I just feel naturally drawn, and I have to fight against that. But even in the church, we say things like, well, faith is it's an, it's a personal thing. It's an individual thing. If you read the Bible, it's rarely do you see it just being about a personal, individual thing. It's always been about a community thing, a body thing, a church thing. But it's about me, and we don't share our struggles because I can't, because I'm an individual. What will somebody say? I can't, can't do that. It's about me. Think about our prayer life. If I think about my prayer life and if we write it all down, how much of it is focused on me? Lord, help me. Help me get an A. Help me get this deal. Help me make more money. Help me do these things. Now, we can pray for ourselves. Sure, that's okay. But think about in those terms of where is our focus that it's so easy to get self-centered. So we need to find a different way forward. We need to go, how do we recenter our lives? And so when I think about this idea again of the selfie, it's us at the center. And we have to ask, and I want to ask you, what is at the center of your life? What or who is at the center of your life? What does your life revolve around? And so what I want to talk about today is how do we move from a selfie-centered life to a Christ-centered life? A selfie-centered life to a Christ-centered life. Because when we look at following Jesus, it's really about recentering our life. If something doesn't have a center, if it's not centered correctly, it wobbles. It doesn't have that solid foundation. It doesn't have that directional stability. And so how do we recenter our life on Christ? So the first thing I want to say is this. Set your focus on Jesus. So if it's about what are you looking at, what are you focusing on, set your focus on Jesus. When you set your focus on something, that begins to determine your direction. It determines where you go. It determines where you walk. It keeps you heading in the right direction. Now, when Jesus called his disciples, what was his phrase? Three words. Come, follow me. I think this was Jesus saying, come, follow me. Be my disciple. What it meant to be a disciple was now to be a student. It actually meant to be a follower. Now, we value leadership culture highly in this country. We develop some amazing leaders and leadership skills. But sometimes we lose the ability to learn what it means to be a follower. 
And as Christians, as followers of Christ, Jesus said, come, follow me, be my disciple. And when you acknowledge that and start to let somebody else lead your life and follow, now you're acknowledging, I'm a follower. And I'm going to let somebody else begin to guide my life and lead my life. And that's a hard thing to, to give up. That's a hard thing for us in this culture to, to do. Why should we do that? Why should we surrender our life? Why should we allow Jesus to guide us? Why should we follow him? Because he knows us. He knows us. He created us. He, he knows us so very well, everything about us. And I love this passage in Psalm 139. Great passage even today for Mother's Day, but just as you think about God who made us and created us, here's what it says, beginning of verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Some of us more complex than others, right? Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. This is the hope. This is why we put our trust in God, the one who knows us, who created us, who knows not just the way we look, but he knows our personality, he knows our gifts, he knows our abilities, he knows our, our, you know, the, the opportunities that we have, the place that he puts us in life, the time in his great creation. He knows us. And so we can trust him when we say, God, lead my life, and Jesus says, come follow me. That's what he's inviting us into. And, you know, and, and so we see in this, there is individuality. Trust me, there is individuality. God made us unique. He wired us in, in, in beautiful ways. But again, we can't, so there is individuality and, and uniqueness in the Bible. They are biblical, but individualism is not. Individuality and uniqueness is, but individualism is not in the Bible. Right from the very first pages of Scripture, it's not good for man to be alone. Made in the image of God. What is the image of God? The Trinity, the Holy Trinity, God, Father, the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What are we born into? We're born into families. We're born into community. In the Old Testament, it's the, the, the nation of, of Israel, the 12 tribes. You had your identity through your community, through your tribes, through your family. In the New Testament, when Jesus came, he didn't just arrive on his own. He chose to be born into a family. Mary and Joseph. He had brothers and sisters. He called disciples around him. He built a community around him. And then when he left, he said, I'm not going to leave you. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to be the head of what is called the church, the body of Christ, the family. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. There's a connection that we are always connected into a community and not just isolated on our own. So we can trust him. He knows us. He formed us together. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And so when we think about centering our lives on Christ, the first thing we need to recognize is, come follow me. Hearing that word of Jesus and saying, are you following Jesus? What are you following? What's at the center? Now here's the thing. What happens when we start following Jesus? The second step is this, lay down your life. So you focus on Jesus, but then the call comes to lay down your life. And again, this is where we get so hung up. Mark 8, 34, when Jesus called to the crowd and to join his disciples, he said to them, if any of you wants to be my follower, so again, come follow me, but if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. That doesn't seem to gel with individualism, does it? You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. 
If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. So the call, the challenge is here to lay down your life. That's the last thing any of us want to do. We all want to pick it up. We all want to take it. We've been running with it. How's that working for you? In some other scriptures, translations, it says, lay down your selfish ambition and take up the God ambition, the God ambition in your life. But we have to lay that down. Well, we don't want to lay that down. We don't want to take up our cross. What is that called to take up our cross? It's literally to, to nail your life, your ambitions, your hopes, your dreams, your struggles, your failures, everything, you nail it to the cross. What you're saying is, I'm going to kill it. Now, it doesn't say to kill ambition altogether. It says to kill your selfish ambition. And this isn't the final step. We think it ends here, that this is it, that it's the cross, nailing, it to the, nailing our ambitions to the cross our own way and saying, that's it, we're done. No, no, no. There's a third step. And I think it's so important, it goes hand in hand, and we actually read it just in the scripture before about the new life that we will have, but it's, the third is this. Pick up your new life, right? So you lay down your life, but then the call is to pick up your new life. And now with a new center, now with a new focus. Galatians 2.20. I love the way it says it here. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live. And this is the, the call to follow Christ. This is the gospel-centered lens. This is the Christ-centered lens. It doesn't just end in our own life. We have to change direction. We need to start and come follow Jesus. And following may just be beginning to take the journey and saying, I'm not sure if I'm ready to be his disciple, but I'm going to start keeping my eye on him. I want to lean in. I want to listen more. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm just going to find out, is this, is this where I really want to be a disciple? You can follow without being a disciple, just kind of keeping your eye on Jesus and doing that. And that's a good start. Some of us have been in that mode for far too long, but eventually there's this point where Jesus says, look, do you really want to be my disciple? Well, if you want to be my disciple, then you've got to lay down your life, your old way. And trust me, there's something on the other side. Do we trust God? Do we trust that on the other side, when we lay down our life, when we crucify our old selves, that we will be found in a new life, raised up to live in Christ? That's the cross, the death, and the resurrection, everything we just celebrated at Easter, that we are resurrected into a new life. And that's why when we talk in, in Scripture, when Jesus talks in the Bible about being born again, it's not that we, 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 stop, we stop short and think it's just about giving up our lives to follow Christ. No, it's to actually find our life. It's to find the hope. It's to find the truth. It's to find the peace. And that's a different lens than this world is teaching us. And like I shared earlier, like every day I want to get back into the throne of my life. Every day I want to get back there and say, okay, I'm back in charge. This is my life. This is my world. It's this temptation, and it's this dailiness of this. It's not just a one-time thing to come back again and again to say, no, no, no. I've got to put you in the center point. I, I make a lousy center of my life. It's not about me. Say that with me this morning. It's not about me. <laughs> I'll say it together. It's not about me. That flies in the face of everything we learn because our world and our culture, everything tells you it's all about you. How have we bought into that as followers of Christ? To be able to say, it's not all about me. Actually, what the Bible says, the great, greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God. We just talked about it in the last series with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's all about who? 
It's all about God. But then it's me, right? Oh, what's the second commandment? And love your neighbor as yourself. Man, I'm not even in the second place. And this is a different lens on life, to start seeing life through a different lens that says God first and others, then me. And the irony is that we find our life when we surrender it to God and we surrender it to others. And yet the pull in this world and our culture and our wiring seems to come back saying, I want to be at the middle. And that's, I think, when we begin to discover that there's problems and challenges when we're in that point. How do we live for God and others? And I think about the community of faith. How can we live different in this culture? How can people see and go, man, you seem to live with a different lens on life. You seem to see things different. The way you interact with community. We learn in community when we talk about belonging and being a part of the body that we have to give up of ourselves. We have to invest in others. And what begins to happen is we begin to find ourselves being filled back up. Opposite, right? The individualism leads to pride. It's all about me. I'm at the center. What's the opposite? What does Scripture talk about? Humble yourself. Consider others better than yourself. Put others first. So we are a community that embodies living in community with love. We embody the humility that's there. And we embody generosity. Generosity says, I don't just keep for myself, but that as I give, I receive more. And that's the secret of the kingdom of God, to have a different center, to have a Christ-centered life. And getting to that point is so difficult. Things have to break before they can grow. And that's the the picture of the seed. That's the picture of... um, Easter, the death, and then resurrection. It's when a seed's planted in the ground, when it breaks open, that's when life is found. So let me ask you, what is at the center of your life? Who is at the center of your life? Maybe today the call is just to come back to hearing Jesus say, come follow me, and you kind of go, man, I've been following something else. I gotta get my bearing back. I gotta get my eyes back on Jesus. I gotta lean into this a little more. Maybe there's some things in your life right now that you just need to nail to the cross i got to lay down my life. i got to lay down my own way and let God revitalize it, renew it, and resurrect it into something else. It's not all about me. It's all about Christ. It's all about putting him first. And when we give up our life, we will find true life. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I don't know where you are in your relationship to God, and how much you still are trying to hold on to your own life, how you're trying to have the universe revolve around you. It's exhausting. It's tiring. It's leading to dead ends. There's a freedom in giving our life and surrendering to Christ. After the prayer, we're going to sing a song that says, Lord, I need you. I think to be able to say, Lord, I need you, is the antithesis of saying, I don't need anyone. There's a surrender that says, God, I need you. I need you in my life. I confess, I lay it down. And it's amazing how God begins to allow us to pick that back up again and give us a new life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a place where we can come and get grounded and rooted in your word, to be reminded of these eternal truths, God, the truths of your creation, to remind us to come back to the heart, to the center, to you, God, you are the only foundation in this life that's going to give us the purpose and the meaning and the way in which to see the world that we long for. So, Father, help us today to use this day to to, to nudge us back, to pull us back, to maybe do an abrupt shift back into into your orbit, God, that we would see with your eyes, that we would take ourselves out of the center 
and turn the camera, turn the lens on others and on you and the world around us. Father, thank you for, for moms that embody the selflessness around us in so many different ways. God, may we embody that each and every day to those around us beginning today. We honor you and we love you, God, and we acknowledge, Lord, that we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we close in worship.